This is the Bud Light Morning Rush Podcast, brought to you by the all-new Natural Light Natterdays with a refreshing strawberry lemonade twist. It's Natterdays. They're going to run and get that boot. The Arkansas Razorbacks have completed a dream season. A baseball team that's on the way back. A college world series title. Stadium. I almost got fired because I went Willie the boss after I had a little too much sauce. This is the Bud Light Morning Rush Podcast. A lot of times that Chad Morse comes on and, and talks with the media and whatnot, some of the stuff that he'll say will be kind of repetitive. I think most coaches will do that, especially when you're exposed to them as much as we here in the local media are. But one of the things that he brought up with them yesterday was talking about the playmakers that he has this year compared to last year and given some names of guys he's really excited about here's what he had to say some different dynamic playmakers um you know getting a Trey Knox in here which had a fantastic spring is really going to provide us some some size and speed at that wide receiver that we've been looking for we still got a long way to go though I'll tell you that we, we've got better offensively in the offensive line we just from depth purposes um we, we were the top team in the country at targeting tight ends this past year so with CJ O'Grady coming back mm-hmm. uh, we got Hudson Henry coming in the mix. I mean, we, we've got some guys that are really going to help this whole overall landscape. Rakeem Boyd was third in the league and, and rushing and all-purpose yards a year ago. He's back. So again, I, I, we're going to be better. Uh, we still no. got to continue to go, go recruit speed. And, um, and But again, I know what we want to do. I know how to get there. and We just got to keep staying the course. I do find it funny in that comment where we brought up the players and the guys like you know, Cheyenne O'Grady and Rakeem Boyd. You all know about that. But the one thing that he brought up was when he said, our offensive line has gotten better and has better depth. <laughs> now, <laughs> could it get really? Really, I'm, I mean, honestly, it couldn't get. <laughs> I chuckle because could it really? I mean, how much worse could it have gotten when they were down to? Well, we were almost laughing because like, it was either laugh or cry last year. It was what seven or eight that they had available scho- to yeah, practice yeah. scholarship linemen? I mean, depth had nowhere to go but up. Yeah, to get better. Yeah. But it's funny, it's just because you lost three offensive linemen from that team last year. Mm-hmm. And it's one thing to say you get better depth because, hey, if you just add players, boom, there's depth, technically. Doesn't mean it's quality depth all the time, but it's depth nonetheless. But to say that you feel like the offensive line has gotten better, though, I think is that's it, where is my question comes into play. Is it numbers or is it quality? That you know, when you, Okay, you throw out the word depth. That can mean two things. We've got more bodies out here to practice with, or we got more quality players. We've developed some of these guys because the only lineman you've really had in the last two years that has really played at a at a really good high SEC level has been Ragnall, right? I mean, obviously he got drafted. Froholt had his moments, but Ragnall for sure was the biggest one. Yeah, right. I mean, what drafted? What was it? Twenty, whatever yeah, it was, it was late, to the lines. Yeah. yeah. First round. first round, so I mean, that's all the proof you need right there. Froholt, I'll give it to you, but boy, he had such a rough start. But, but I mean, at a really high SEC level, you've had one guy in two years, three, how many years now? Two, I guess two. Yeah, Bielema's so last all year. <laughs> it's all, all blur. was last year, and Morris's first year. You've had two guys. And I don't think there was really Froholt's the one you'd point to last year, but that wasn't anywhere near Ragnall's level. No. So yeah, I mean, okay, more depth means more guys. But do you have fifteen? Do you have twelve of your fifteen that are at a 
and an SEC level are going to develop into that? We'll see. They're trying to develop a different body type, different foot, you know, diff- different footwork and different different speed, um, and that just takes time. Again, that's why I don't expect this huge leap this year. You know, maybe they can become bowl eligible, but I mean, I don't think that we're a you know what, what was the old Bobby Knight uh, documentary season on a brink. I don't think we're a. I don't think this is a season on a brink, John. No, you know? no, I, I don't and think, I think so the either. offensive line is one of those reasons. And when they get that straightened out, that's going to be one of the when when that gets straightened out, and the offensive line is able to go too deep across at a good level at a good high level, then you're going to be able to compete at the eight plus wins level in this league. Well, would you say that it's the offensive line? Because I think I think I know the answer to this, but the offensive line is the one unit that's really keeping us skeptical about the offense moving forward. It's because, for me. Because you feel like every other position, they've at least stayed the same or improved on. I feel like at quarterback, well, they've improved. I, I would feel say like this. Wide at, receiver, they have too. At the other units, quarterback, running backs, wide receivers. Tight ends. Tight end. Tight end might be your best, has been your best group. We'll see a little more about this year. And as he went through targeting them more. Running backs and tight ends probably your most serviceable. Quarterbacks was pretty weak last year, but you feel a lot better with Ben Hicks in there and then Starkle coming. Um, the offensive line's the most suspect. I mean, there's just no question. Still is, and it's going to be. How can you trust where you're at with the offensive line? And that's not an indictment on Chad Morris or Fry or anybody on this coaching staff. It's just they're going to have to recruit their way out of it, and that's not a one-year fix. So You'll it- recruit your way out of it one year, and then – you know, we we mentioned the headline Monday of the the four star commitment. Now that's the twenty twenty class. Again, that doesn't help you this year, but that's how you start climbing out of this hole. A four star offensive line commitment over the weekend. That's help on the way, but the problem is it's a long ways off yeah. on the way. Got to wait till next season, and then as a true freshman, you don't even know if they'll be good enough to start. Right. So yeah, but, it's going to take that's years. How it take that? That's how Chad Morris is going to fix this. Yeah, and it's going to be about building depth. But assuming, just assuming that Chad Morris is telling the truth and saying this offensive line, of course, has better depth, but it's just a better offensive line than what it was last year. If that is true, I see no reason why this team doesn't win but five or six games next year. That is still one of the most that government is one of the most puzzling things to me. Because Bielema had a good offensive line. His what second and third year? Yeah, I mean he brought in his first three guys, were good, but his yeah, first three, his first one was okay. His second and third ones were his best. Yeah, my, my remember it it's all kind of gets hazy. Yeah, because in twenty 20- when, when when Skipper and that whole group kind of developed as sophomores, that, those were. Yeah. I was about to say in twenty fifteen you had Mitch Smothers at the center position, right. but then you had Sebastian Tretola, Denver Kirkland, Dan Skipper, and Frank Ragnow. Those were your five guys. Yeah, pretty good. How do you go? I mean, how does it just go from that? Which I'm not saying that's an all-world offensive lineman, but that was pretty decent. Pretty good. Good enough to win you some games. And they didn't win enough games based on that. How do you go from that to where you got, oh, and where, where we've been? I, that, that's the most puzzling thing to me in all of this. And that's ultimately what one of the big reasons why Bielema is not here no more. Is right. How do you just, and, and all I can guess is Sam Pittman's departure you whiffed on the next coach, oh. and you just quit recruiting at that position for whatever. Players didn't want to come play for that clown they put in there. Yeah, because essentially, essentially Kurt know, Anderson Kurt had. Ander- I mean, I, I, that that is still to me and has set the program back several years. What is 
not happened at offensive line. Yeah, because essentially you had Kurt Anderson who had two full recruiting classes about, I mean, and it didn't. He didn't do a good job. Yeah, of I know it, we're and just that's, rehashing old news here, but that to me is just still mind-boggling how you could have fall off a cliff at offensive line like that, more one, so than any other position group on the on the team. I mean, just to sleep at the switch there unbelievable yeah i mean it's and it's not even like if i because i believe that even if you made a decent hire after sam Pittman left you still wouldn't be in this position but you just went from making having one of the best if not the best offensive line coach in the country to a nobody i mean yeah you just can't do it that way and that's one thing that you can at least or at least at this point in time have confidence in chad morris with that if he loses a position coach like say if joe craddock gets gets a head coaching job at some point or if uh, well, Justin Stepp or whoever it is, they move on. You know that Chad Morris, first and foremost, is going to be looking at, hey, I need a coach that can recruit. Well, I need a guy that's going to be able to recruit in here. And that's why this coaching staff is just digging out of that hole. I, I I don't think we all, myself included, fully appreciate the hole. Craddock and this offensive coaching staff, and Fry and those guys are digging out of on that offensive line still. And it's just a recruiting job. You know, that's all it is. I mean, to me, that's where... I think you're going to start seeing some strides this year, but they're still way behind the field there. And that's what's going to give you confidence that if the offensive line does make tremendous strides this year, you're talking about losing your, quote, three best offensive line from last year that were on a bad offensive line. You lose those three guys, you add in some depth pieces, you didn't go out and recruit a bunch of four or five star offensive linemen, but you develop these guys and then they end up being better this season than they were last season. That gives you some hope. It's like, okay, not only can these coaching, this coaching staff recruit, but it looks like they can develop guys as well. Because, again, I mean, if you look, if you go to ArkansasRazorbacks.com and look at the roster and just sort it to where you can see the offensive linemen, I, I'd want to test all of you and to actually find five names that are familiar to you. Mm-hmm. Because they're just a lot well, of new guys that haven't developed, haven't gotten the chance, well, but, and they haven't been highly recruited. But offensive linemen are generally not familiar to you until they play a little while. So, I mean, I, I get that. But, but that's the whole problem. Right. Lack of experience. Lack, I mean, lack of quality depth. So, all you can do is get these guys out on the field and figure out who can play. Yeah. Well, Chad Moore says they got more and, depth. So, whatever that means. I don't know if it's quality or not, but well, it's depth. You got to start with numbers and then you can go from there. I mean, it has to start with numbers. Whether it's quality or not, you got to have bodies and then you sort through what you got, you know. If nothing else, you start there. Hopefully, the numbers you got, you got some quality to build on there. Yep. And they can, and if because can, last year, they couldn't even hardly practice no. at times. <laughs> yeah. If you only have seven or eight guys out there on the <laughs> offensive line, you can't, you can't have a good, productive practice. You just can't do it that way. So, at least they won't have those issues, knock on wood, barring any injury, with those problems happening this season. You're listening to the Bud Light Morning Rush Podcast, brought to you by the all new Natural Light Natterdays, a light lager brewed with a phenomenal strawberry lemonade flavor that's perfect for bringing the fun to every occasion. The new Natural Light Natterdays. Touchdown, Hogs! Holy Hog! Been discussing when Chad Morris went on SEC this morning yesterday and was given some comments not only about the playmakers that he has but also the development of this team from last year to this year because we all know how bad last season was. Even Chad Morris understands how bad last season was. But the thing is, is it didn't really surprise him 
on how bad that season was going to be. Well, you know, first of all, let me, let me go back and address a little bit of last year with it. We knew that there was going to be some challenging times. That, that, mm-hmm. that wasn't – I didn't walk in and go, okay, this, this, is, this is completely shocking to me. Mm-hmm. I knew that we were going to struggle. You know, when you change different philosophies from right. where they were to where we were heading, I knew, I knew that there was some uphill climbs that we had to take, and the only way to do that is establish our program, establish what we're about, look at our track record. We've won everywhere we've went. We've had successful offenses everywhere we went. We've got to stay the course, and that's what we did. And uh, so I think, first of all, as you move into the second year, anything you do the second year, you're going to be better at. Our guys understand the system. They understand the coaches more. Uh, and so for that alone, offensively, we're going to be better. See, that was the thing that we all knew and how when they come in and then you have to change all of these philosophies and change the cultures and all of that. I think from the talent perspective and just thinking about what he had to work with for what he was trying to fit into, he understood, yeah, this this is going to be a struggle. This is going to be a tough year. But I do th- make I do wonder, because he didn't go into detail on that, but does that also include him having to establish a different culture, but different from not just from Brett Bielma to Chad Morris, but from Chad Morris year one to Chad Morris year two, right? establishing that culture? Because we've seen him... He looks like he, the things he have he has done, especially in spring ball, is completely different from what he was doing a year ago. When it comes to the you know the the taking away of all the you know all the uniform or all the you know apparel and stuff to you know, having more of a militant approach to how this team is trying to get mentally tough. I mean, there's there's been some adjustments he's made, so it's not necessarily just about from Brett Bielman to Chad Morris, but it's also from Chad Morris year one to Chad Morris well, year two. I think trying to build some mental toughness. I mean, this team, this team has got to learn how to survive and win in the fourth quarter. I mean, maybe with a little more toughness, they win in that fourth quarter against Ole Miss. You know, now would would a three win season a year ago with one SEC win change our total perspective on last year? No, it'd be one more win and an SEC victory. But it's one more win and an SEC victory, you know, and it would it would probably change your outlook on what the springboard could be for this year. Those SEC wins are precious. And when you have a year where you don't have any, you realize how precious they are. So yeah, I, I think he's just trying to build some toughness so that they can finish some of these games. Something happened in the Bielema era where they just lost a lot of that. And I I don't I don't know how they regain it, but they're they're working on regaining a lot of that right now. Well and I- and then let's also be, let's just be big boy about it. Let me be honest about it. They were remodeling the locker room. So taking, they had to, they were going to have to move out of the locker room. Some of these things that, that, that were used as tools for motivation to re-earn, this all worked perfectly because some things like remodeling the locker room were, were happening anyway. So it, it worked out great yeah. so for yeah. him, for him to utilize all that as a way to work the team through some things physically and mentally in the spring and or through the off season and spring practices. Well, yeah. And I think the timing of it worked perfectly to go to your point too, but you know, this is what's kind of sucky for Arkansas, but at least they've been here before where you're coming off of a season similar to what you had in the first year of Brett Bielma. They went three and I guess three and uh, nine that year. Mm-hmm. Chad Morris went two and 10. So technically they were worse. And I don't think any of us would try to pretend that, Last season was better or just as good as Brett Bielma's first year. Both teams were bad, but it's just different situations and different scenarios. Now, going into year two of Chad Morris, going into year two of Brett Bielma, you've, you almost felt a lot more confident and better after the 
first year of Brett Bielma going into year two than maybe necessary what you feel about Chad Morris well, year one going into year two, even though they're very similar situations. You could start to see, again, some of this gets a little hazy, but you could start to see some of the progress in late year one. There were a few bumps, but you could start to see some things forming. Then early in that year two, we talked about that Auburn game earlier this, this week. They didn't win, but that first half, they competed their butts off. And they were in that game at halftime, and then we talked about the heat and humidity and uh, the conditioning just kind of caught up to them. They weren't ready for that. But they went down to Auburn, and they hit them in the mouth early in that game. And then you knew, all right, this this got real potential to work here. And later in that year, we saw it. Now, there were some lulls before you got to some of the highs. You know, there was there's some more valleys before you got to some peaks. But, but you saw that, hmm. Yeah, this blueprint will work. And I think we're going to see some of those moments early in this year that may not result in the final score being a win, but maybe like an Ole Miss, you see some halves and you see some some quarters that Arkansas goes out and they execute offensively, they execute better defensively. And you say, I see the blueprint. I, I understand. This will work, you know. Well, hopefully that this isn't a situation where you're taking – an overhaul of all these players that were a part of the program and and moving them. I'm not saying that Chad Moore's just like kicked them off the team, but there's been a lot of moving and shaking on this roster. What do we figure? It's about a third of the roster. Yeah, essentially yeah. that it has moved on, that has graduated or whatever, that is not here anymore. Mm-hmm. And Chad Morse is bringing in a lot of new recruits, a lot of fresh faces, some transfers that he's going to go with those guys as well. I mean, there's just been a lot of moving and shaking on the roster. And I also feel that breeds a little bit of excitement and intrigue from the fans because it's like, all right, all those players that were a part of, of that culture or a part of that Brett Bielma era, it, it may be unfair to feel this way, but that's how fans feel. They they want that gone. They don't don't want to think about the the culture that Brett Bielma left behind or the players that were all about Brett Bielma. They, they just want to have Chad Morris culture, Chad Morris players. So it, it can cause some excitement and intrigue because of that and because you're having so many new faces but it also causes a lot of concern because you don't know what these guys are going to do you don't know what they're going to bring to the table I mean you don't know what Ben Hicks is going to do you you see what the resume says and says hey he is under Chad Morse at SMU he knows the offense we got to see him in a couple scrimmages in a spring game so you feel like okay maybe this can work out but you don't know you don't know if Nick Starkle is going to be coming in and if he's going to be the next guy up or will he start this year or the next year you don't know you don't know what these new offensive linemen are going to be because they're all brand new you just yeah. don't know so again it causes some sort of excitement but also concern and maybe that's really where fans are at of trying to find any type of positive reason to get excited about the football season is all these new faces because mm-hmm. that previous regime that previous culture you got to weed it out you got you got to just kind of it takes time it takes years it takes getting in the right players and you're just hoping that all this overhaul and all these guys leaving is going to be worth it because you're going to be getting better guys better players better personalities in return for it that's what you're hoping for and one of your biggest takeaways from the spring game when you came back is you said yes the offense didn't look great but it wasn't like they did not know where to go. Yes. They were at least yeah. in, lined up correctly, ran what looked to be the right place. Now, the execution wasn't great, and right. that was because they couldn't implement all the offense, certain sets and certain plays that Chad Morrison going to show in a spring game. But at least it wasn't the disaster we saw about a year ago in that spring game and then eventually the season because I mean, you can think about 
the punt, like the the fake punt, fair catch. You can think about when Raheem Boyd and Jordan Jones ran into each other. There was so many times last season where Arkansas was not only the laughing stock of the SEC, but of college football as yeah. well. Because it's one thing to lose the way you lost because you just don't have the players. It's one thing to do that. Mm-hmm. It's a whole nother thing when you're losing at the well, rate you're losing and it, you're just looking like a bunch of children out there who have no idea what they're doing. Like that's a whole well, nother there were some level. Things that you you know was on the coaching staff last oh, yeah. year. Yeah, they're not free of blame. I think there were some things that they're communication wise or or uh, you know internally they're figuring out. I, you know I don't know how where you you know where it rests whether it was just in game communication or just game plan itself or people in the wrong spot whatever it was you know. But I, I'm sure that there's been a lot of a lot of conversations. Since that point, of trying to figure some of those out, yeah. So there were some coaching moves that, some coaching uh, decisions that could have made a difference, I believe. Yeah, and you there's no, and there's no reason to think that. Listen, when you go two and ten, there's there's <laughs> there's enough blame for everybody to get get a, get a piece of it. You can even blame us for some reason. I mean, I mean, we can we can take some of the blame. That's fine. Here on the morning rush, we'll gladly take. It. You're listening to the Bud Light Morning Rush podcast, brought to you by the all new Natural Light Natterdays, the new beer of the summer. With a refreshing strawberry lemonade twist. Natterdays, fun for every occasion. They won't catch him. Alex Collins is going to take it all the way to the house. It's been insane how much Eric Musselman has been active in not only recruiting out of high school, but also getting into the JUCO ranks and the grad transfers. Because let's be honest, folks, Arkansas needs some immediate help right now. They have a couple of good players, a few good players, guys that can... Uh, really develop and work on their game. We know what Isaiah Joe is and Mason Jones, and there was excitement about Reggie Chaney, and there's a few pieces here and there. So it's not like the Arkansas Razorbacks' cupboard is completely bare, but they do need some help. So when Eric Musselman came in, people are saying, all right, okay, he's in. He obviously has a lot of ideas. He's got some development. He's going to have to go out, though, and get some immediate help in the, in the size department. He's going to have to get a big man because Daniel Gafford, you lost him. And you don't have anybody else that's going to be able to replace him. So what are you going to do? So you would expect then that players that were taking visits, grad transfers, guys like that, would be big men. But they're not. In fact, overwhelmingly, Eric Musselman has been targeting guards and small forwards, more so than any big men. And one of the big uh, visits that they have coming up here on May 3rd, 4th, and 5th, is high point Jihad Proctor, who averaged 20 points a game, who is a big-time guard and one of the better transfers that are out there. And there's some other guys that he's been involved with, too. But here's my whole question, because I set it up this way. Here's my whole question. Does Eric Musselman not see, really, necessarily the big need and emergency of getting some big six foot nine, well, six foot ten guy in right now, right here, right immediately? That's not to say he won't. You know, he's not done... I mean... Just because it's not the first one doesn't mean he doesn't see the need, obviously. Obviously. But it doesn't seem to be, as far as the visits and the guys he's been in contact with, overwhelmingly amount of big men. It's been overwhelmingly guards and small forwards. Pace and space. If I don't know the answer, I'll say pace and space. Just just throw out the term. Pace and space. Or whatever answer, whatever question you answer, just pace and space, <laughs> Pace baby. and space. Just pace and space. Every single time. I mean, well, and, and I, my question, and what I'm wondering about this, is maybe... What he's wanting to do, at least in this upcoming season, not to use Auburn as the complete example, but just have a lot of speed and a lot of quickness and a lot of athleticism, but go small 
running gun. Yeah, and just worry about scoring a lot of points and not, I mean, obviously you're going to get out-rebounded a lot, but just worry about more uh, possessions. Yeah, the more possessions, the assists, the steals, the... All, all of that fun stuff to make it a lot more exciting, and it's good. It's a good thing they don't determine the winner by rebounds, isn't it? Serious. <laughs> when was the last time Arkansas had a good rebounding team? I mean, seriously, if that's how they determine the winner was by rebound margin, you know. Well, at the end of the game, we're not going to use points. We're going to use rebounds to determine who won the game. Or if, like, instead of overtime, we're just going to look at the rebound stats, and that's the winner. I think Arkansas would have won 10 games in the past 10 years, it seems like, if they did it that way. But that's obviously, I mean, that's never been, I'm not saying it's not an importance to have for Eric Wilson, yeah, but, saying rebounding, but just given what the route he's going and, and his style of how he's approaching it. They still determine the point, they, they still determine the winner with points. Yeah. So, yeah, he's probably trying to figure out some guys to put on the roster and put the ball in the hole, you know. Bottom line. Got to score points, it, it, and that's what Auburn was. That's where they made their run. They got more possessions, put the ball in the hole more. <laughs> Sometimes we overcomplicate things. Well, see, and that's kind of what I was alluding to too, because we, at least I am this way. I'm not a huge basketball guy. I played a little bit when I was in school, but it wasn't anything to the extent of uh, like what Nick Mason when we have him on and stuff, and when he talks about it. But it's just always like when you see it, it's like okay, you got to have a point guard, a shooting guard. A small forward, a power forward, and a center. Yeah. That's the way it needs to be. And the centers became the, the, the true five is not really no. Essentially, though, and says saying the center, you need somebody that's six nine or six eight or more. It's just that's this is how your mind yeah. works, and that's how you feel like it needs to be. But you can be successful, and as Auburn proved, a team like that, and other teams have done it too, not just Auburn. But you can be successful without having to have two, three, four guys that are six nine and above. You can go out there with a smaller lineup and run and gun it and wear teams down more so than anything and worry about three-point shots because we know also Eric Musselman's a big you know, guy that likes to have a lot of threes and a lot of shots taken. So I don't know. I just, I'm trying to figure out exactly what, what he's trying to make this team look like in, this, in his first season. What is it going to look like? Because there's excitement about him because he's new, but there's also excitement about him because Arkansas still has some guys that can play. I mean, they you just feel like if a little couple of adjustments here and there can really make Arkansas into a really good team. And I think that him going the route that he's going with transfers and, and trying to get some JUCO players in and getting guards, I think that would make the style very entertaining too. And maybe that is that where college basketball is kind of going, is maybe trying to do more like what Auburn was doing and uh, other teams that well, went smaller. If you can, I mean, coaches still got to win to keep their jobs. Of course, yeah. I mean, if you can, I think college basketball obviously is set rules, and they're looking at new rules and things of widening the lane, perhaps, and you know, not just things like quarters and but but, but other rules to improve scoring, make it go up. You know, rule changes aren't to help the defense. Rule changes are going to be to inhibit defense as. It, it, it's that way, and it seems like every sport. Football the same way. Basketball, I mean, they, more offense, more scoring seems to equal more entertainment and more ratings and more enjoyment, more fan involvement, more tickets sold, all of these things. So, absolutely, I think the sport would like to see it move in a direction where there's more 87, 85 ball games. But isn't it funny that the two teams that played in the national championship game this past year 
were built defensively. I, I think that that's funny because I don't disagree with you. But I, don't, I, I think those are outliers, right? I don't think that's the way the majority of the sport is going. No, I don't, but I'm saying that the teams, though, that went now, against the now, grain right. were the successful ones right. so, this year. Well, coaches say, hmm, maybe we should try it this way. Well, other coaches say, maybe we should follow Texas Tech and Virginia's model. Maybe Chris Beard has something figured out, or Bennett's got something. Maybe we should, you know. I just think it's harder to go that way unless you've got guys that really understand how to fundamentally play defense and not get caught up and getting fouled because it's just so hard to so hard to play defensively that way anymore and not find yourself on the bench limited with foul trouble. Yeah. I mean, it's been problematic in college basketball because there's even been times where there's teams that don't like it seems like they don't even not saying that they don't know the rules, but they can't find their own way of how to play defense without fouling What's or the without discipline. Yeah, I mean, they don't the have discipline, the discipline of, of staying within it. Yeah. And, and they didn't have that. And so and I almost feel like it's I'm not saying it's easier, but it feels like that going this route of having more offensive driven basketball where defense is secondary. No coach is going to come out and say, yeah, we don't worry about defense. But defense becomes but, a secondary thing. It's a little easier to deal with when you're not having a bunch of fouls. But offensively, what's the game evolved into? Three-point shooting, baby. And three. dunking. It's exactly <laughs> right. Correct answer. You're either going to shoot a three, and that's one other thing that I think the rules committee has taken a strong look at, is should the three-point line be moved back? What do you think? Should they move it back? I mean, personally, I don't think it should. I mean, I wouldn't be upset if it did, but I think it's fine the way it is. They're, you know, part of their survey that went out, I think that's one thing that's under consideration is bumping it back another foot or maybe looking at, at some of the international setups. I think there's some considerations that are that are out there for, for stepping it back a little bit more. Um, it's three-point shooting and, and drives to the hole. There is nothing mid-range anymore. That That's offensively what the game has become. One or the other. Very little offense other than that anymore. Yeah. And if you have the players to execute it, it works out. Works out beautifully. Mm-hmm. But you just got to be able to get the players in there. And I know that Eric Musselman's working on it to try to get the recruits and grad transfers in there. But it certainly seems to be off to a good start if he's able to actually get some of these players on campus and be able to play for Arkansas this year. Um, Could be a fun year. Yeah, I think you're going to see several changes on the horizon in the next year or two. I mean, they, they technically have rule change years every other year, uh, trying to not make drastic changes to the rule book. They'll make some in the off years if they feel it uh, desperately necessary, like we saw with the hook and hold and some things that, that got put in. But I think you're going to see the shot clock on offensive rebounds go to 20 seconds rather than the full 30, with the theory being... You only needed the 30 to get it across half court. Why do you need 30? Because, that, again, that adds more possessions. Right. More possessions, more points. Um, but the holdup on that is, do you have the equipment? Do Does Dactronics and all these companies that run scoreboards, are they set up to do that? So I think you're going to see college basketball change where if the offensive team collects the rebound in their front court, the, the, the shot clock will reset to 20. Um I think quarters is going to be on the table. I think moving the three-point line is going to be a, a discussion. I think widening the lane is going to be a discussion. There's going to be several things that will be discussed, but I think I would really look for that shot clock, and you say, well, what, what's the big deal there? It's just going to add more more possessions and more shots to teams and should should raise the number of points teams score. Mm-hmm. So 
Yeah, and I think that that makes for an entertaining product. And it's going to change the way things um, are are played out at the end of games, certainly in the way you time things up. Because if you get, you know, the valuable offensive rebound when you have the lead at the end of the game, it's going to be a little bit less valuable because that extra 10 seconds you would get to run the clock down or force the other team to foul or however the the, the strategy may go will, will change. Mm-hmm. Well, the one thing that needs to change, as I mentioned in the show and I'm doing the petition, bring back Midnight Madness. <laughs> That that's the thing that's that not, needs to that's change. That's not a terrible idea. Yeah. Well, thank you, Tommy. Hopefully, Arnold Urchek's I mean, listening. Actually, I know he is. He's listening. He's going to put it together for me. And hopefully, people would show up. I think they would. You know, I think the excitement is building and the buzz is there. So, might as well take advantage of it. Your number one source of local news and information you need. Like the Bud Light Morning Rush podcast? Check out the halftime pod at hitthatline.com.